listening to the podcast of Northside Assembly of God in Crowley, Louisiana. Finally, today we are going to move forward. In Colossians 2, we're going to look at verses 8 through 10 this morning. And the title of my sermon today is The Influence of the Unseen. Influence of the Unseen. Colossians 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul is writing to a group of Christians in the ancient city of Colossae. And here's what he tells them in verses 8 through 10. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells or lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So Paul is giving them a warning here. He says, I want you to be aware of something. He warns them, don't be taken captive and put in bondage to philosophies that are hollow and deceptive. And they're not rooted in Christ. They're rooted in what he calls human tradition, or we might think of it as common sense. Now, when Paul writes this, I first of all, I just want you to understand, when he's writing this, he does have something specific in, in his mind. And he's addressing what was a common movement a philosophy at that time in history that was actually very deceptive, very seductive, and dangerous to the early church. It was a philosophy called Gnosticism. I don't want to spend any time on Gnosticism this morning because it doesn't really fit the message that's on my heart. But I just wanted you to know he is aiming at something in particular here, specific, and it was called Gnosticism. And you can see hints of it in his letter that, that this is exactly what he's talking about. But Paul's warning here really applies to any philosophy. Or instead of the word philosophy, let's say system of thought or package of ideas or ways of looking at the world. So if I were to take Paul's warning and put it in modern language to you, here's what Paul's saying to us. Be careful that you don't get sucked into a certain way of thinking and a certain way of looking at the world, certain ideas and values that you absorb from conventional common sense. But these ideas and values and ways of looking at the world are not rooted in Christ, and they're going to lead you astray from the way Christ has called us to think and live. But there's also a missing element there that Paul includes, and this is what I really want to zoom in on this morning. There's a, there's a particular phrase that I want to highlight in, uh, in verse 8. Look at what he says. He says these hollow and deceptive philosophies, these hollow and deceptive systems of thought are not just rooted in human tradition. They're not just rooted in common sense. They also come from something else. Elemental, spiritual Forces And the word in the, in the Greek that he uses is just one word, stoikeion. And when he uses this term, I want you to understand, Paul is talking about actual, real, spiritual beings. 
that are at war against God. And he says, actually, these common sense assumptions and ideas that you're absorbing, this is ultimately where they come from. See, one of the themes that constantly is recurring in Paul's writings in the New Testament, and this is what he wants to drill into your head, is that we are living in the midst of a spiritual war. There is a spiritual battle taking place, spiritual bullets buzzing past us all the time. We can't see it. It's unseen, but it's every bit as real as the air that you're breathing. You cannot see the oxygen you're breathing in, but it's very real. And there's a spiritual realm where a war is taking place. And Paul says, you need to know this. You need to be aware that there are spiritual forces at war against you and at war against God. And he frequently makes makes references to this famously in Ephesians 6, verse 12. uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against human beings. Our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Hold it right there. Now, when Paul uses these terms, rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces of evil, we know if we take this verse and compare it to some of the writings that were going on at that time that are not in the Bible, we know that what Paul's talking about here are different categories of spiritual beings, demonic beings that are part of Satan's demonic kingdom. We don't know a whole lot about the demonic world. But one of the things that we do know from Scripture, not just here but but elsewhere, is that not every demon's exactly the same. There are different categories of demons that have different levels of authority and strength. There is a hierarchy in the demonic realm, just like there's a hierarchy in the angelic realm. Not every angel is exactly the same. Angels have different levels of authority. But the main thing that you need to understand is just simply this. We are in the midst of a spiritual war. Somebody say amen. Let me know you're here. We're in the midst of a spiritual war. We don't know a whole lot about it, but, but so far as we, we can tell, this spiritual war goes back to the very foundation of creation. God, who is eternal, created angels. Angels are not eternal beings. Angels are created beings just like us. So God created angels, and then somewhere later on, God created the world. He created human beings. And there are two things that angels and human beings share in common. Two things that we have received from God. To angels and to humans, God has given us free will. And God has also given us a certain degree of authority. You remember in in the book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, God speaks within the triune Godhead and says, Let us make humankind in our own image and let him have dominion over the earth. God delegated to us authority, a certain amount of authority over the earth. The earth is underneath our domain and everything on the earth. We are put in charge of the earth. This is God-given authority. And God's desire is that we would use our free will and use our authority in a way that would reflect his desires and his heart and his purposes. But as you all know, the story of Genesis We as human beings, we used our free will to rebel against God, and we used our God-given authority at cross-purposes with God. And as a result of that, now everything underneath us is messed up. Well, listen, this is part of the equation that a lot of people leave out. Just like there was a rebellion in the human realm, 
Sometime before that, it also, there are hints in Scripture that there was also some type of angelic rebellion. Angels, just like us, were given a certain amount of authority over fundamental aspects of creation and eventually human society, although their authority appears to be more vast and more structural than ours. But just like human beings rebelled against God and used our authority against God's purposes, it seems as though there was a rebellion as well in the angelic realm where most of the angels joined Satan's rebellion against God, used their authority at cross purposes with God for destructive reasons. So as a result of all of that, as a result of angelic rebellion and human rebellion, now everything's messed up. Everybody say, everything's messed up. Everything's messed up. The whole cosmos, nothing operates exactly the way God would have it to be. So there's a spiritual war. There are spiritual beings working against us. Paul here calls them stoicheon. We may not know a whole lot about them, but here's one thing we do know from Colossians 2, is that to some degree, these stoicheon, these spiritual forces, have the capacity to influence the way we think. They can't control the way we think, but they have a very deceptive, often unnoticed way of influencing the way we look at things, the way we look at the world, and the very grid through which we interpret everything. Even perhaps some of our most basic common sense assumptions and ideas can often have a demonic origin to them. Let me give you a couple extreme examples just so you'll have something to grab onto. You'll know what I'm talking about. For the first two and a half centuries of American history, it was conventional, common sense for Christians, white Christians, to own slaves and treat them like cattle. And that was just how the world works. It was assumed this is the way God, this is the way the, the world's got to be. This is the way life has to be. This is the way the economy runs. And it was conventional. And it was common sense and often unquestioned. Now, here we are now in the 21st century. There's, there's hopefully not a person who's listening to this right now who wouldn't say that that institution of slavery is inhumane, it's demonic, it's satanic. It has no place in human society. But no less than 160, 170 years ago, it was just assumed. Well, this is common sense. This is conventional. This is the way life works. Another example, in, in Nazi Germany, there were these awful, horrific concentration camps like Auschwitz and Dachau and many others. And they had incinerators at these camps, and they would take little Jewish children and throw them into these incinerators and burn them alive. And yet, a couple hundred yards away, you might have a group of German soldiers sitting around a, a, dining, a, a dinner table, eating their fine dinner, smoking their fine cigars, playing poker. And all the while, there's this aroma from this incinerator filling the air, and they don't even bat an eye. They don't think about it. It's just normal to them. Now, I guarantee you, probably none of those men just two decades earlier would have ever imagined themselves in that kind of scenario. Even if they had already a prejudice against the Jewish people, they would have never seen themselves two decades before in that kind of situation. 
but it shows you how easy it is for us as human beings to absorb ideas, values, assumptions from the environment around us. And we're like chameleons. We just learn how to blend in and we become acclimated to the common sense and it becomes part of our normal. How many of you are with me this morning? All right. Now, here's the thing. It's always easier to notice somebody else's normal that's demonic than to notice what's, no, what's demonic about our own normal. And that's why we have to heed Paul's warning. He's telling them, wake up. Beware. There are stoikeion. There are elemental spiritual forces that want to seduce you. And you won't even notice them. You'll just think this is normal. This is the way it's got to be. And you'll absorb ideas and values that are actually going to lead you astray from the way Christ wants you to think and live. And as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to have the humility and the courage to literally take everything that's normal, every common sense idea that we might have and hold it under the light of Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to promise you, and, and, and hear me today, because this is strong in my heart. There are going to be times, if you're interested in following Jesus, there are going to be times throughout your life you're going to have to make a decision. Is Jesus my Lord or is common sense my Lord? Look no further than the example of Christ himself. When Jesus voluntarily gave up his life and was crucified, that was not a common sense idea in his culture. Everybody in Jesus's life didn't want him to do that. Nobody would have assumed, well, this is how it's going to end. Nobody would have approved of it. When he was crucified, they thought the whole thing was over. If anything, what they wanted him to do was lead a rebellion against the Romans. We see that with Peter in the garden. They come to arrest him, or the Jewish guards come to arrest him. And Peter takes out his sword. He's like, all right, common sense, guys. Let's pick up our swords and let's fight them. Let's put them in their place. That was conventional in Jewish society. That was the common sense assumption. Let's put our enemies in their place. And Jesus goes against everybody's common sense idea and lays his life down. And this is the one we're following. There are going to be times where Jesus and common sense will not lead you in the same direction. In fact, they might lead you in the opposite direction. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to pattern our lives after him. We're called to adopt his kind of lifestyle. We're called to be different. I'm not saying weird for weird's sake. I'm just saying we're called to be peculiar people. We're, we're called to live differently than the environment around us. We don't always follow the common sense assumptions of our culture. We follow the lamb who gave his life on the cross. So we're called to be a different kind of people who belong to a different kind of kingdom, who belong to a different kind of society and serve a different kind of king named Jesus. And we're supposed to be putting on display the beauty of his character in the midst. And, and listen, if we're going to live that kind of life, there are going to be times when our lives are going to butt up against some of the most fundamental assumptions of the environment around us in a culture that isn't submitted to the reign of Christ. So y'all still with me? All right. This is a risky message to preach, and I'm convicted by it. I'm, I'm up here preaching to myself. I, I got my notes right here. I'm taking notes. All right. 
So we have to ask, what is normal in our culture? Because just because it's normal in our culture does not mean it ought to be the norm for the kingdom person. In our culture, it's normal to have sex before marriage. I'm just going to say it like I mean it. It's normal to have sex before marriage in our culture. That's conventional. It's what everybody does. I've heard it throughout my life. You wouldn't buy a car without first taking it out for a test drive, so why would you marry somebody without living with them and sharing a bed together first? That's normal. But we have to ask, is that normal? Is that to be normal for a follower of Jesus? It's normal in our culture for Americans to spend 97 to 98% of our income on ourselves. I'm telling you, statistically, that's the norm. Even though we live much better than the rest of the world, and 25% of the world's starving to death. But as Americans, sometimes we don't even see the incongruity there. And we just get sucked into this American dream thinking that, that that's the goal of life, to better improve the way that I live. But we have to have the humility and courage to ask, is this what's normal for a Jesus follower? And I'm giving you softballs. This is really not controversial stuff. It shouldn't be. But we're to take everything, everything that's normal to us, every common sense assumption, and have the courage to hold it under the light of Jesus Christ. Now, I could take this in a billion different directions this morning. But today, I want to zero in on one particular aspect of our normal here in America that we take for granted, but it needs to be called into question because it's influenced by the stoicheion. And I want to preach this morning a little bit about the role of entertainment in our lives. I don't know if I've ever preached explicitly a message on the subject of entertainment, but, it, but I need to. It's, it's so pervasive and it's so destructive and deceptive. And I want to give you some statistics this morning. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you just open our eyes to see the work of the stoicheion all around us. I'm going to get all statistical on you here for a moment. I'm going to go slow because I want you to hear this. According to the Federal Bureau of Labor, the average American over the age of 15 has five hours of recreational time. So this is time when you're not sleeping, you're not working, you're not in school, and you're not doing mandatory chores. The average American has about five hours of discretionary time, which I'm told is actually higher than it's ever been. Uh, and yet it's weird because we always feel like we're in a hurry and we don't have enough hours in the day to do everything. But here's how we spend, on average, here's how we spend that five hours of time. According to the Federal Bureau of Labor, we socialize 30 minutes a day. We read 18 minutes a day. We engage in sports and exercise, recreation, 19 minutes a day. We're involved in the computer for leisurely purposes about 25 minutes a day. Now, now folks who are under the age of 20 do that three times as much, and folks who are over 50 don't do it nearly that much. But this is an average, you understand, the average American. Relaxing and thinking, we spend 17 minutes a day, even though I think older folks probably do that a little more than younger folks. Other leisurely activity, another 17 minutes. And we watch television 
164 minutes a day on average. That's 2.7 hours a day. Over a week, that's 20 hours a week. Now, I've actually seen some studies where it's much higher than that, something like 25 to 30 hours a week. But let's just go with that conservative figure, 20 hours a week. So clearly, viewing entertainment is a high priority for us, just determined by how much time we're willing to give to it. But you can also see our priority on entertainment by how, much, how, how we spend our money. Listen to this. The, the, now, now, this is pre-COVID, okay? Because last year, I mean, it, it kind of skews all of these statistics. So I'm, most of what I'm giving you is from a year before COVID, all right? But in a recent year, the average household spent roughly $2,600 on entertainment, which is, you know, movies and concerts and sporting events, all of that, which is roughly about 5.6% of the average income. If you compare that to the amount that we spend on charity and churches and ministries and humanitarian causes, well, that number is about $1,200 on average, which is about 2.5% of our average income. So in other words, we spend two and a half more times of our money on entertainment than we do on church or missions or charity work or anything like that. Think about this. One out of three Americans... Last year, or 2019, one out of three Americans volunteered at church or some other social agency in a recent year. One out of three. And the average amount of time that that group, that one out of three groups spent volunteering was about 50 and a half hours for the entire year. Which means for the 30% who actually are volunteering, the amount that they volunteered was worth about two and a half weeks of their average television watching. And that's the group that did volunteer. That's not the 70% of Americans who didn't volunteer. Now listen, I'm sharing this with you not to indict us or indict anybody, but to show you what the normal is. This is what is normal. These are the normal patterns of the world. And what did Paul say? Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. This is a pattern. And as kingdom people, we're called to be different. But if we're, if we're going to be different, we first have to know what the norm is. The stats for young people is even more alarming in terms of how much media they're exposed to. Listen to this. This is going to blow you away. There was an exhaustive study on this done by the Kaiser Family Foundation. And what they found was that the average American child between the ages of 8 and 18 every day, they watch 3.4 hours of television, 2.3 hours listening to music or some other form of entertainment, 1.3 hours on the computer, 1.1 hours playing video games, and 38 min minutes in printed material. That's their homework, I'm assuming. 29% of that is done while multitasking. So they're doing more than one thing at a time. Listen to this. The total amount of media exposure that a typical child has is about 10.4 hours a day. They're only awake 16 hours. So 10.4 of the 16 hours of awake time they have is spent being exposed to media and external stimuli. This is what's normal. 
And I'm suggesting to you, this is the work of the stoicheon. And it's having very damaging effects, which I'm going to talk about in just a moment. Sociologists say that the best way to determine what a culture values is not to do a poll because people get self-deceived about their poll answers. The best way to determine what a culture values is to, is to just observe where does their money go? Who do they pay the most? Who do they pay the least? And by that accepted sociological criteria, it's significant that the highest people paid in our culture are the entertainment people. For example, this is from 2019. Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, famous actor, 2019 made $90 million. Steven Spielberg made around $150 million. I'm not indicting these people. I'm just reporting. These, this is public information. In professional sports, same thing. LeBron James of the Los Angeles Lakers, if you, if you count all of his endorsements, made over $92 million. Mike Trout, baseball player for the Anaheim Angels, without endorsements, this is just his salary, made over $33 million. The average starting quarterback in the NFL, this is not uh, just the, the, the stars. These, this is just every starting quarterback in the NFL. The average starting quarterback made over $15 million. Now you compare that to, say, how we pay social workers in our society. The average social worker in America makes about $39,000 a year. Not a million, 39000 the average public school elementary teacher in the United States makes about $46,000 a year. Now that's what's normal. And I'm suggesting to you that this is the work of the stoicheon. Think about it. What does it say about a culture that we will pay somebody who can make an entertaining movie or throw a ball into a hoop thousands of times more then we pay those who are entrusted with the care of the most vulnerable and those who are entrusted with the education of our kids. What does that say about a culture? I suggest to you it says something. Now, here's the thing. Everybody here, everybody listening to this could honestly say, no, I do not value throwing a ball in a hoop more than I value our kids. Every one of us could stand by that statement. There's not, there's not a person I know who would not say, this is wrong, this is messed up, this is not the way things ought to be. But you see, it seems as though we're powerless to do anything about it. Like all of America is not just going to get up and boycott the entertainment industry. It's part of a system. It's, it's ingrained into the very system of our culture. See, this is what is called systemic sin. And I believe it's the work of elemental spiritual forces who have created and influenced this demonic herd mentality where all of the individual cows say this is wrong, but the herd just continues to go along with it. You understand what I'm saying? Are you with me still? If worship is ascribing worth, and worth is about where we put our time and where we put our money. And whatever we worship is our God. 
then I think perhaps we need to ask the question in America, who is and what is the God that we worship in America? What, just generally speaking, what is the American God that is worshipped? And I would suggest to you it is the God of entertainment. And I believe it's having profoundly damaging effects. I, I, that statistic I showed you earlier, 10.4 hours a day of, of the average American child is spent being exposed to media, media stimuli. There's good data and good arguments to be made that that's actually a huge factor in what's contributing to the rising rates of ADD in our culture. And it makes sense because their brains are being conditioned to respond to external stimuli. Our brains are being driven by external stimuli rather than an internal volition. In other words, my attention goes not to where I choose to give it. My attention will go to whatever can grab it. And we lose our, our, our ability to, to have an internal driver. And I believe it's not just true with kids. I think it's true of us as, as adults. It's, in general, as, in America, we, we, um, I believe what's happening is we're becoming more passive as a people. And our approach to life is much more passive. We view our lives as a movie that we sit back and watch rather than an adventure to be lived. And what's happening is we're learning to live vicariously through entertainment, through celebrities, because it distracts us from the emptiness on the inside. And as kingdom people, it distracts us from the fact that we're called to live differently. We're called to be distinct. We're not called to cater to the norm of culture and the, the typical patterns of the world. We're called to live a different kind of life. We're called to sacrifice. We're called to serve the poor. We're called to feed the hungry. We're called to care about the lost. We're called to house the homeless. We're called to put on display the love of Jesus Christ, the kindness of Jesus Christ, the beautiful character of Jesus Christ. We're not called to be just one of billions of chameleons who just blend in with the way things are. We're called to be different. But the fact that it's so easy for us to sometimes conform to the norm without even noticing it, it shows you how powerful these stoicheion can be because we don't even notice them. It's what we don't notice that can keep us in bondage. So this morning, I want to give you, before I close, as I close, I want to give you three quick encouragements. Just something to think about. Just to kind of jar our orientation a little bit to hopefully start getting us moving in a different direction. And just so you know, again, I'm convicted by this. As I was preparing this this week, I'm like, ouch! Like, even last night, I'm like, ouch. And then, I don't know if you have an iPhone, but if you have an iPhone, once a week, it'll show you, like, how much screen time you had. And, and as, I'm, as I'm going through the message this morning in the new gym, that pops up. And I'm like, ouch. I'm here preaching. I'm preaching to these people about the role of entertainment. And look at my screen time. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Forget it. But I'm convicted. And so I'm, I'm not... I'm not uh, you know, this is not an iron fist type of thing. This is, I'm, I'm including myself. Like, there, something needs to change for me personally as well. But I'm going to give you three quick encouragements. Number one, wake up to the stoicheion. Wake up. And here's perhaps what you might do. And I would encourage you to do this. You might even do this with a couple other people. But make a list of everything that's normal in our culture. Don't judge it. Just make a list of everything that's normal. Just common sense assumptions 
common sense ideas, make you a list, and then ask yourself, what's my normal? When I think about certain issues or certain topics or whatever, what's my way of looking at all of these things? All of my own assumptions. Make a list. And then one by one, take them and bring them before Jesus. And say, Jesus, is this consistent with your character? Is it consistent with the way you're calling me to think and live? Everything, even the most normal thing in the world, if we're not willing to call into question the normal, then the normal is actually the Lord of your life. It's, it's what we march to. Whatever you march to is your Lord. And so we have to wake up to the stoicheion by questioning, being willing to question everything. Number two, examine, more, more significantly now, examine the role of entertainment in your life. And you might have to do some investigating here because you probably don't know this. If I were to ask you right now, how much time do you spend on entertainment? How much money do you spend a year on entertainment? You probably don't know that off the top of your head. So you probably have to do some thinking, some research. But, but get serious about the question, how much time, how much money do I put towards entertainment? Now listen to me. Hear me out for a moment. I'm not saying that entertainment is inherently wrong. You know, watching a movie, watching sporting events, I'm not saying that's inherently wrong. And I'm also not trying to give you rules and tell you what you can or cannot do. Been there, done that, done with it, not going there again. So, so we've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. This is not a formula type of thing. But look at me. It's time we get serious about it and ask, how much time and money do I put towards entertainment versus how much time and money I spend towards the kingdom? How much time do I spend praying for my brothers and sisters? How much time do I spend serving and doing ministry? God, what is my relationship to media and entertainment, and is that consistent with kingdom values? Amen? And then the final thing I'll say is simply this. Parents of children, guard your children. Guard your children. I'm not trying to give you a scare tactic. I'm just trying to tell you it's real. There are monsters who want to devour your children. We're in a battle, a spiritual battle. I'm not talking about human beings. I'm talking about spiritual beings who at a very early age want to implant ideas and assumptions into your child's mind and the way they look at the world that are contrary to what God wants for us. Guard your children. Nobody else is going to do it for you. And they can't, they're not capable of doing it themselves. See, it was, and what worries me is, um, and I say worry, but what concerns me, maybe I'll like, I like the word concern a little better. What concerns me is that the landscape has totally changed from when I was a kid and a teenager. When I was a teenager, it wasn't until my late teens we started getting internet. So the big issue in our household was, should the child or should the teenager have a television in their room? Should we allow the, the child or the teenager to have a computer in their room? Which, by the way, at this stage in my life, I'm totally against that. I'm just give, this is not Bible. I'm just telling you my opinion. I don't think a child or a teenager ought to have a television in their room. I don't think they ought to have a computer in their room because you're giving the devil free reign. But you see, what compounds it now is that it's not just a television and it's not just a computer, desktop. All these other screens now, all these other access points, all these tablets and devices, and it's not even just network television, which is a thing on its own. Now it's 
a largely unregulated internet and social media. And there's things that happen that your child may be aware of that you don't even know. Kids are so much smarter than we are when it comes to finding ways around things. So I'm just, I'm just going to say this, and the teenagers in this room are not going to like me for this. Too, too bad, tough. But I'm going to tell you, parents, if you allow your child to have a phone or a device, you need to be all up in their business. You need to know every password they have, and you need to regularly, frequently review what they're doing. As long as they're in your house, you're responsible. You're going to be having to give an account one day for the environment that you fostered under your roof. That's not your child's responsibility. That's our responsibility as parents. Guard your children. This is not me giving rules. This is just a little bit of confrontation. Some prophetic confrontation over something that needs to be confronted. And that's these stoicheon, these spiritual beings who travel around unnoticed, but they have tremendous influence in our culture. And we need to wake up to it because if we don't notice it, what we don't notice will put us in bondage. So wake up. Examine the role of entertainment in your life and guard your children. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To learn more about Northside Assembly of God, check out our website at www.northsidecrowley.com.